0: So yesterday I was jonesing for some cookies, and we were at the grocery store, and I bought those Pillsbury ones, and they come in the tube, the best kind in the world, because apparently they come in a tube. It's only good if it comes in a tube. And, and I cut them when I was making them last night, and Minette Shaver always makes them on a, on a pizza stone. Yeah, that thing. Okay, so put them on a pizza stone? And she, she always talks about how great they are, and her cookies are really good, but I put it on a pizza stone last night. It's amazing. You are not allowed to bring any cookies to element unless they're cooked on a pizza stone now. I, the God spoke to me last night very clearly, and any cookies not made on pizza stones are evil. Uh-oh. I'll move it. I know. Now I'm going to stink and sweat all over you. All right, uh, if you went through the gospel class uh, for any length of time and you went through the end and you haven't gotten a member interview yet and you want to be a member and we haven't gotten a hold of you, uh, go to the Welcome Center and sign up. They're going to do a whole bunch of member interviews next Sunday. So if you uh, want to do that, sign up. Seriously, there's been something going on today. It must be the heat. They've been going on all day. Crazy. It's gonna. If I go down, call them. It's not the Holy Spirit, okay? Call <laughs> them. Too far? No. No? Okay, just checking. All right. All right. Uh, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the community tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you do not have to shut it off. Just put it on vibrate. Download an app. It is called UVersion. Click on live in YouVersion. It will bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You get the sermon notes and the verses and the questions that all go along with this morning. All right, why don't you stand with me? You're reading of God's Word. This is Habakkuk chapter 2, which is, I'm sure, a book you read all the time. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4 says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be a people who learn how to live by trusting fully in you you for whatever comes our way. That we'd be able to die to ourselves and what we want for ourselves and simply live to honor you. Amen. Have a seat. Alright, so this is week 12 of the stupid summer. At this point, it's kind of going into fall, so it could be the stupid fall, but that would have had too many puns. It just wouldn't have been cool. I would have lost y'all with all the puns and my really bad jokes. Uh, This week and next week are the last ones to the stupid summer. And I'm pretty sure next week, some of you guys may not come back after next week. Which is okay, because apparently it's my job to always try and send people from element to other churches. So, (laughs) I'm sure I will do that next week. Uh, Now, this whole series is about dumb things that Christians believe but aren't true. Uh, I know a couple of people who through this series have argued with me about some of the things that we have talked about. I'm not going to name them, but I'm just saying it, it has happened. And a lot of times this is mostly because we feel something so strongly, not because it's actually true. But we just we just feel it uh, as, as an example. If you look at something, say, like origins and you have, you know, like the Big Bang or not the Big Bang or how did it all come about? I, all those things are by faith. Right? I mean, Because you can't put the Big Bang in a test tube in a lab and actually recreate it. So, you know, did God use that or did he not? or was it? And so everybody wants to argue about it. It's, it's all about faith. It's all about what you feel. It's all about what you really want to believe in the midst of that. I was talking to somebody about this recently. And they started telling me how wonderful Charles Darwin is. He's just a really great guy. And I go, really? Do you really know what, what Charles Darwin? T-? And Charles Darwin was a racist. Okay? I mean, his whole book, Origin of the Species, which we base everything off of, it was actually about the favored races, which was him. You know, and so I'm like, oh, but he was. Your... It's because you feel it. It's all about feeling. This is why in relationships, you can convince yourself that somebody that likes you and is nice to you is a great person when they're just a jerk to everybody else, or maybe someone who had a bad day and they were mean to you. You're like, that's a horrible person, and yet they're having a bad day, and maybe they're really sweet and nice. It's all what we keep convincing ourselves. And this also comes to beliefs in Christianity. Sometimes it just feels I just want to believe this thing, and sometimes they're wrong. Today I'm going to hit you in a place where you think you are safe, where you think you're safe. And that is the view that we basically think we're good people. That is a myth. It's a myth. And until we realize why Jesus had to die and rise for us, we will never embrace the humbleness that God intends for you and I to live within. And we will actually never know true and real freedom. Now, as we start, I'm going to read you a passage out of a book. The book is called Mere Christianity. It's by a guy named C.S. Lewis. The passage I'm going to read you is very long. So just go with me as I read it. It's on page 195 of my copy of Mere Christianity. There's a lot of copies out. It may not be on that in yours. You have a Kindle copy. I don't even know how you tell pages on a Kindle, but whatever, okay? And mine's 195, and this is what he says. He says, the ordinary idea which we have before we become Christians is this. We take as a starting point for our ordinary self with its various desires and interests, meaning you start with the flesh of kind of who you are, and that's where everybody's starting. He says, then we admit that something else, call it morality or decent behavior or the good of society, has claims on this self, claims which interfere with its own desires, meaning we want to do something, but the claims of the better morality of society fight against that what we mean by being good is having, is giving into those claims some of the things the ordinary self wanted to do turn out what we call wrong so we must give them up other things turn out to be what we call right and well we shall have to do them but we are hoping all the time that when all the demands have been met the poor natural self will still have some chance and some time to get on with its own life and do what it likes meaning after i do all the good things hopefully i can go sin a whole lot and it'll be okay that's what it wants in fact he says we are uh, very like an honest man paying his taxes he pays them all right but but does hope that there will be enough left over for him to live on because we are still taking our natural self our a life apart from God as the starting point. As long as we're thinking that way, one of the other two results is likely to follow. Either we will give up trying to be good, or else we will become very unhappy indeed. For make no mistake, if you are really going to try to meet all the demands made on the natural self, it will not have enough left over to live on. The more you obey your conscience, the more your conscience will demand of you. And your natural self, with the thus being starved and hampered and worried at every turn, will get angrier and angrier. If you try to live in legalism, you will just be an angry person, is what he says. It says, in the end, you will either give up trying to be good or else become one of those people who, as they say, live for others but is always in a discontented, grumbling way, always wondering why the others do not notice it more and always making a martyr of yourself. And once you have become that, you will be a far greater pest to anyone who has to live with you than you would have been if you frankly made selfish. You ever know, know anybody like that? Who's like, I'm always giving, I'm always helping, woe is me. You're like, man, you are a pain in the butt. That's what he's talking about. He says, the Christian way is different. It is harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. I, in fact, I will give you myself. My own shall become yours. Now, this is the idea in Christianity that God makes people new. And how does he does that? He kills the old one. That's just how it works. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Now, God does this because we're evil. And over and over and over in the scriptures, Jesus comes back to this idea of dying to self, living for him, and what this looks like. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all talk about it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. It's so funny. As the services progress, more and more people use their smartphones. In first service, everybody's got a Bible. Second service, half of them do it. So you guys are like, zing, boom. There, let's go. All right. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, if you're looking at recruiting followers, this is one of the strangest recruiting techniques you've probably ever seen. Like we think of the cross as like a piece of jewelry or it stops vampires or something like that. But in this case, in this day, this would be like somebody saying to you today, uh, take up your electric chairs or your anthrax or your ricin and follow me. These are not theoretical words. The people here are very familiar with crosses. Now at this time, there have been several attempts of rebellion against Rome. And so Rome had decided the best way to stop rebellions is crucifixion. It's a great method to stop insurrection. The first century historian Josephus says that there were times when the rebellion ramped up so much that Romans would crucify more than 500 Israelites a day. Okay. Joseph said there were so many crucifixions that at one point they ran out of crosses and they ran out of space to put the crosses because they were crucifying so many people. There's actually a passage in the book of Deuteronomy that says anybody who dies hanging on a tree is cursed, so Jews always tried to take down crucified people before nightfall. But the Romans would deliberately leave bodies hanging on crosses for days and weeks and months, sometimes more than 20 years. And you would walk by a cross and you would see a skeleton just hung up on a cross. And that's a clear message not just to Israel, but to all the people who would rebel against Rome. You don't mess with Rome. So it's not theoretical for them. It's real. Some scholars believe when Jesus used this language, he was standing next to one of these crosses. He says, deny yourself and take up your cross. Everybody knew what it meant. You've got to be ready to die. And that is a very odd way to attract a following. Now, flip over into Luke chapter 14. Jesus keeps going with a lot of these things that he says. In Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Oh, I hear pages turning. That's nice. I think hard copies are the best anyway. You can write in them, put notes in them, put post-its on them. I guess you can do that on the Kindle, too, but whatever. Okay. Uh, Luke 14, verse 33. Jesus says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, we read that and we think, really, Jesus? Really? I mean, you're asking a lot. That's over the top. You wouldn't want to interfere with what neighborhood I want to live in. You know, would you do that? You don't want me to have an uncomfortable lifestyle, would you? I mean, I understand there's starving kids out there. Kids are dying every day. Some kids are being sold into sex trafficking, maybe even driven there by some of their parents. Some people don't have a house to live in. Some people don't have a Bible to read. Some people never even hear about you. And I understand that, but you really won't want me to get too inconvenienced over that, Would you? See, we always want to soften Jesus' words. We always want to soften them, to dampen them. We want to make them loose enough so we can do what we want, accommodate our own desires. And yet Jesus is constantly relentless about this. And I know it's really hard for us. Open your Bibles to the book of John. Let to show you where Jesus keeps talking about this stuff. The book of John, uh, verse 25. Jesus essentially is saying that no half measures are any good. In fact, half measures are only going to make your life miserable because then you're going to be torn between, well, how much do I follow him and how much can I keep back for myself? And you're always going to be torn. John chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus says this, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And this is the issue. Do we really believe Jesus is worth following? Because Jesus is constantly showing this to his disciples. He shows up in the beginning of the Gospel of John. He says, follow me. You go to the end of the book of John. The very last thing he says to Peter is, follow me. We live in a self-sufficient world. We don't want to follow anybody. We want to be the one that leads. But you will never live the life God calls you to lead until you follow him and surrender everything to him. Now, a while ago, my wife and I kind of came to this unconscious decision that we're gonna stop moving furniture together. Unless I can't get one of you to help me, right? And th- then we'll move furniture together. But we try not to because every time we do, we argue. It's like when we move furniture, it's like what's right, what's left, what's backwards, what's forward, because when you move furniture, someone's gotta call the shots and someone's gotta lead. And she never gets, it's supposed to be me. <laughs> it's supposed to be me. <laughs> so and then because if you're not clear about who's leading moving furniture, you drop it. Things get broken. And so you got to get clear who's leading, or you stop moving furniture together. A life of following Jesus is built on the foundation of death to self. And if we will not deny ourselves, we cannot follow Jesus. Not that he won't let us, we can't. See, there's a cant of permission, like, you can't do this because I won't let you. But then there's the cant of impossibility. This is a cant of impossibility. Because when we refuse to die to what competes with Jesus, that thing is always going to win. Let me get really concrete about this. Jesus says, if you want to follow him, you must begin by denying yourself. And so what does that mean? And so many people take this in such wrong ways, they don't understand what he's really saying. Part of it is is that you're not as good as you think you are, is part of what he's saying. But self-denial is not self-rejection. It is a very good thing you are alive. God is glad that you are alive. It's why he made you. You should be glad you're alive too. Self-denial is also not false humility. See, self-denial is not trying to pretend you're worse at something than you really are, or you don't have the gifts that God gave you. Self-denial is not random acts of self-deprivation. The idea is not that you give up anything that happens to give you joy. Okay? Self-denial is the process where we become liberated from the compulsive need to always have my own way. It's always got to be this way because it's my way it's my will we actually learn that we can live without our will being done and self-denial is the process of being weaned off all the selfish attitudes in our lives that never lead to life because if you have a death to self it is always the death of a less more simple self so that Jesus can make you into a nobler more glorious God honoring person this is the idea that we are born again the old self dies a new one is born it's, it's important to understand what comes to life when Jesus raises us to life. And there's no other way to that life than really dying to ourselves. Open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. Galatians, chapter 2. God eats popcorn. God's electric power company. Just so you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. See, I give you a rhyme. You're learning it. It's all good. Woo! Learned something in church today. I don't know what it was, but... God eats popcorn apparently. Okay, Galatians chapter two, verse twenty. This is what Paul says in Galatians two twenty. He says, "I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live." And if you just take that, that looks like words of loss. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in. I uh, live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. See, now that that doesn't mean that we become some strange kind of religious person who doesn't have any strong desires or passions, and all we think about is religious stuff all the time. What Paul is saying first is that Jesus, what he does is he identifies with us in his crucifixion. But we also identify with him in the crucifixion. The word translated I in the Greek is this Greek word It's spelled E-G-O. You know what word we get from that? It's spelled the same way, E-G-O. Okay, it's ego. It's my need to be God to be the center of the universe. Anybody here ever, you know, know any, anybody has an ego problem? Anybody? I'll tell you, it's kind of off topic, but my favorite ego story I got. Okay, uh, there's this guy uh, was and his name is Mayor Daley. Used to be the mayor of Chicago, one of the last old-time bosses in Chicago. Massive ego, massive ego. So one time, a speechwriter comes to him and he says, and he says, "I need a raise." Now Daley is just flabbergasted that anybody would ask him for a raise. No one has the gall to ask me for a raise. And so Daley says, "I'm not giving you a raise. It ought to be enough for you that you work for me, a great American hero." Okay, so sometime later, Mayor Daly is giving a speech on Veterans Day. Now, he's also famous for never writing his speeches and never reading them and just winging them as he begins to go through them. So he's standing in front of this group of veterans thundering on about how valuable and forgotten veterans are, and he says, but I haven't forgotten you. In fact, I'm proposing today a 17-point program at the federal, state, and local level for us to care for our veterans. Now, there's nationwide press coverage. Everybody's eager to hear what his you know, seven points are. He's eager to hear what his 17 points are because he doesn't know either and he flips the page and all it says is you're on your own now you great American hero we all yeah get him see we live in a society that just exalts the ego John Calvin once wrote this, he says, For as the surest source of destruction to men is to obey themselves, so the only haven of safety is to have no other will, no other wisdom, than to follow the Lord wherever he leads. Let this then be the first step, to abandon ourselves and devote the whole energy of our minds to the service of God. Now, who has an ego problem? Who in our lives edges God out? That would be you. And that would be me. We, we all do it. That's the correct answer. And I think part of the first thing is, you know, coming out and just kind of admitting it so we're not in denial anymore. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, hi, my name is, my name is Slim Shady. Want you, hi, my name is, right? Say whatever your name is and then say, I'm an egomaniac. Just do it. Doesn't it feel good? Just get it off your chest. It's right out there for everybody to see. That's right. Now, I mean, i got to tell you, that's just the reality about every human being alive. It's the beginning of sin. It's the lie that Satan told Eve in Genesis 3. You know, if you do this, your eyes will be open. You will be like God. That's ego. And that's what has to die. Now, leave your finger in Galatians, but flip over to Luke chapter 14. Now Jesus stakes, you know, his claim to your full devotion on our need to die to ourselves, or want to be God ego. He does it in very provocative ways and Luke 14 is a question I get asked about a lot. I'm going to cut down on my question load today. This will be great. So I'm just going to tell you what it means. Luke 14, verse 26, Jesus is still going on and talking about what this means, death to self. Luke 14, verse 26, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life he cannot be my disciple now that looks kind of strange right although you're probably thinking i got people in my family i am so glad that verse is in the bible i have been doing that my whole life done sweet now obviously jesus who told us to love everybody including our enemies is not saying you hold anybody in contempt this verse is a very strong way in the hebrew culture to clarify what gets top priority in your life they would say, whatever is top priority, that thing is loved. All rivals to that are hated. It doesn't mean you hold them in contempt. It means if they compete with each other, the top one always wins. And that's what it means to love Jesus and hate everything else in that sense of priority. The idea, Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, no rival on earth may be allowed to get in the way because you're following me And so in that sense, you've got to hate your job, which I know a lot of are like, done, sweet. But, it, but it's also, you've got to hate the insatiable desire you have for more all the time. You, you've got to hate, you know, the approval of trying to get everyone to like you or the applause of everybody around you. You know, go back to Galatians, okay, where you had your finger. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. This teaching is all over the New Testament. And when you get it, when you get it, this is what Paul says happens when you get it. Galatians 5, 24. He says this. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. These are not passions and desires that are, that are good things. These are ones that are always warring against who God calls us to be. And the thing is, once we get this, once we understand this, we have another problem because our ego rears its head again. And we think, well, look how good I'm doing. Look how much I'm reading my Bible. Look how much I'm praying. Look how much I'm serving. Look how much I sit through that hot building when Aaron yells at me for half an hour. Look how... And then you look at everybody else and go, how come they aren't doing it like me? Look how spiritual I am. And all of a sudden our ego just raises its head again let me tell you how this happens the week i was writing this message a few months ago you know and and my wife is making some jam some of you have had it and you're welcome okay so she's making jam and and so she's got the garbage can full of stuff and she says you know can you can you take out the garbage and i sigh and i go if it's that important that's my passive aggressive way of being like i don't want to, but you asked me so now i felt guilty so i'm gonna try and make you feel guilty for asking me to take out the garbage you all do it okay (laughs) don't don't get all smug on me you know you all do it i know it now, my wife can read that stuff in me, and she says, you know, well, what were you planning on doing? Do you have other plans? <laughs> and I'm like, I was going to watch TV. It's really hard, you know, something like that. You know, and actually, it's kind of good because I thought back to what, what I was writing at the time, and I'm like thinking, well, I was planning on working on this sermon to convince everybody to die to themselves and take up their crosses, follow Jesus, serve others. Apparently, I'm not going to be able to do that because I've got to serve you. <laughs> How horrible is that, Right? Right? Now in Luke chapter 9 verse 23, Jesus adds a single word to what we've been looking at. He says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now why daily? Why daily? Because our natural self that C.S. Lewis talks about is always trying to roar back to life. The aim of self-denial is freedom. It is not bondage. The aim is not hollowness or emptiness or loss. And the reason it is so hard for us to see the true freedom that God wants to live in is we're always attached to something, and that something makes us feel alive. You know, whether it's applause or sex or alcohol, whatever it is, It's like when we get that thing, oh, that's when I feel really alive because I just got that thing. And we think if I got to give that up, well, then I'm going to feel dead all the time and I may as well just die. And what we don't understand is that when we become liberated from a desire, we are actually freer to pursue more interesting and gratifying desires. I mean, the ultimate goal of self-denial is not to walk around with this stagnant, empty feeling that you always have when you first deny yourself of something, like, I'm not going to eat 20 cookies today. I'll only eat 10. Oh, it's so hard, right? You know, when you deny yourself of something, it's actually to arrive at the day when you are simply dead to that thing, where you are actually free. It doesn't enslave your emotions anymore. You're liberated to do what God actually wants you to do. You can begin to live in real and true life. That's freedom. But the only way to get there is to live dying to self. And you do that on a daily basis. I mean, seriously, there are a hundred ways, ways every day to die to a thousand different things. Uh, I'll give you a few examples. You're driving down the road, and because most of you drive. You're driving down the freeway, and somebody wants to pull in in front of you. What do you do? Well, if you me, you speed up. <laughs> like, you're not getting in here. You know, because because I don't look at the person. If you look at the person, you either got to let them in or you get to be a jerk because you looked at them. Ha, nope. You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) So what if you actually looked at them and slowed down and let them in? Now, I know it's a pain in the butt because what happens is they get in front of you and then they slow down. You're like, what are you doing? You know, but you start to do that. It's a way to begin to die to yourself. Uh, Maybe you hear someone has said something negative about you. What do you do? You go and you talk to them and you say, and you say, you know, I heard you said this, you know, and then you let them explain to you why they said that and what they saw. And, and then maybe, you know, in it on the backside, you say, oh, well, maybe that's actually true. And you, and you say, you know, when you see this, you have freedom to call me on that in my life. Uh, you know, I've, I've been talking to a few people about this recently. It's kind of interesting how often this has come up in the, in the last uh, four weeks for me. Um, but I, I must have told three people in a week for the last four weeks that when someone comes to us and they question us, our first response should always be, is there any truth in this? Now, there may not be any truth in it, right? But your first response is, is there truth in this? Because it must be self-denial and this dying to self rather than saying, how dare you? It's, it's you know, it's that question of, is there truth in this? This. And if there is, you give people permission to come in and speak into your life. Maybe uh, your neighbor is out and they're spraying weeds on their lawn. They overspray and they kill half your lawn. What do you do? You go talk to your neighbor. Okay, you go, you go say, "Hey, you know, you're overspraying, but you must remember, in that, you don't take a bat or a shovel to bury them with." Right? You go over there and you realize your lawn is temporary. Your neighbor is eternal. Maybe you get a brand new cell phone and little kids, for some reason, are just drawn to the most expensive electronic item you have in your house. I don't know why it is like a magnet. Uh, they just go for it. Okay? Now, a lot of times kids will play with things and they will break things. What happens when they break things? Well, it's okay to discipline them, but you must also remember that thing is temporary. Your child is eternal. How about this? Um, you and your wife have an agreement that you will not get a new cat until your first one dies. And then she comes home with a kitten. What do you do? You get rid of the kitten. No. (laughs) We kept the kitten. We kept the kitten. That's just how it works. No. (laughs) Amen. Okay, whatever. On a a serious side of this, uh, if you have a problem with an addiction... Uh, and, and we're in a hyper-addictive society today. And I talk to a lot of guys who struggle with pornography. And, and they keep feeling guilty. They keep promising God I'll never do it again. And it never changes. And every time they just do it, they die more and more inside. What do you do? You need to die to your pride. You need to die to yourself. You go to a trusted friend. You get involved in the gospel community. You connect with people. You stop holding yourself out because you're afraid of what they might think about you. You get connected. You tell some other people in there that you actually need help. I've got this problem. I cannot get over it. I can't do it on my own. I need some help. Would you help me with this? That is the idea of freedom. But you have to die to yourself first. Personally, I wrestle with impatience. Now, half the time, if I'm talking to you, you're probably looking at me, and you can see I'm thinking about ten other things at the same time. right? And it's like, focus, focus. i got like this issue. I have a hard time focusing because I'm impatient. Sometimes when I'm talking to somebody, I actually have to go, Jesus, help me to see you in this person. So I stop being so impatient. I have some friends in my life who have given freedom when they see me like talk to somebody and walk away in the middle of a conversation to call me on that and say, you just did this, you need to knock it off. And then I go back and I apologize and I'm humble. I say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? I mean, you can look at a bunch of things in your life and there are a gazillion chances every day to exercise self-denial and what it would really mean to follow Jesus. We must make a foundational decision in our lives that Jesus, I'm going to surrender everything to you. And we take up our cross daily. And the question becomes, how are we actually doing with that? Last week after third service, for some reason, I guess at the end of third service, I, I talked about giving a little more last week. And someone asked me a bunch of questions about that. And, you know, I think one of the reasons the scriptures tell us to give is that the practice of dying to ourselves involves money because one of the biggest thing that vies with God in our hearts is money. I mean, it's always vying for God's position within us. And what would happen if the gospel actually transformed our lives in a financial way as well? And I know this is, is really hard, so I'm going to do this in, in practical stuff for a moment to get you guys to see this. I'm going to do an exercise about our financial life. So I want you to reach into your pocket or your purse if you're a woman or whatever you got, and I want you to pull out of your pocket whatever it is that represents money, your money. Maybe you've got a checkbook. Maybe you've got a money clip. Maybe you've got a credit card. Pull it out. Pull it out. i got my Chase Freedom card. And it's a lie. <laughs> it is a lie. From the pit of hell. It's the chase debt card. Enslavement card. It is blue. Like how you feel when you can't pay your payment. Okay, so everybody got it? Pull it out. Right? Everybody got it in your hand. Put it, get it in your hand. Okay, smell it. Pet it. Rub it. Okay. <laughs> This is the temple of the 21st century today, right here. This is what buys for God in our hearts. And you think, if I got enough in here, man, if I just had enough, I'd be successful. I'd be safe. I'd be important. All this. If I just had enough here. And so Jesus says, will you let it go? And so I'm going to do an exercise in letting go. And if it's your first time here, I am really sorry. I have never done this before. I will never do it again. I haven't been crucified yet today, so... What I want you to do is I want you to turn and hand this over to the person next to you right now. And it can't be your wife or husband. Okay? I want you to hand it to somebody next to you. Just hand it to him. Hand it over. Hand it over. Goes to somebody else. Somebody else. Hand it over. Got it? Are you staring at them? Nice. Okay, now. See? See? That's not cool. you got to pull it out of there because that's safe because it's hidden. Now, everybody who actually did it, right? How you feeling? Are they making a rubbing of your credit card? Don't forget the CCV number on the back. Right? Okay, now we're going to take an offering, and you're going to do it out of what they put in your hands. No, I'm just kidding. No, hand it back. Go ahead and hand it back. Hand it back. Now, now take a deep breath and sigh ha. Ah, your God's back in your pocket. You're okay. You're okay. See, this is one of the problems that comes when we sing worship songs. Because what happens is we get we get all caught up in the thing. We feel so, oh, I'm so surrendered to God. Like, you know, we sing the song, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. And when you sing that, you can get really caught up and be like, Oh, yeah, Jesus, this is so true. I love you so much, not a mite would I withhold. And yet, is that really true for our lives? See, those are dangerous words to say. Because sometimes you can sing those words, you can really feel so much about it. But it can be detrimental to your spiritual health as a human being. Because you start using all this spiritual language and you start going in autopilot and not actually giving up your mites. You start to live unintentionally. You start living with the falseness, that's hypocrisy, and that's not a good thing. We have to be a people who say, you know, Jesus, right now, I'm not able to surrender the way that you're calling me to. I know what you want me to do. I'm not able, you know, to see all the mites I'm withholding, so help me to begin to do that. We have got to be honest about where we're at, not just with Jesus, but with people around us. And you have to also understand this. You will never fully surrender to God if you're only goaded by guilt. You're like, oh, I feel so guilty, I better do this. You're never going to surrender to God that way. See, our lives will only be lives of surrender, and we see Jesus as actually being worth it. Jesus and the life that he offers as worth it. Because Jesus one day took up his cross because of his great love that he bore for his people. And he took our sin upon himself. Jesus once said to his father in Luke twenty-two forty-two, not my will, but yours be done. Then Jesus goes to the cross as the will of his Father. He is crucified and he is resurrected. And this is the only freedom that people will ever know is surrender to Jesus Christ. He is the one that we need to want more in our lives than anything else because we are not as good as we think we are. And when we believe the myth that we are good people, it ruins the the life that Christ has for us to live because we start to think we are better than him. And we are not we are not we must daily die to ourselves and our own self gratification and justification and realize that you know even though we probably are worse than we believe that Jesus is still better than we can ever ever imagine and he calls us to real life letting go of everything that hinders us from him you now this is one of the reasons that we do talk about communion every single week in element because it is the place of surrender i mean you realize that jesus has cut himself surrendered his will and his life So that you and I can be redeemed and you and I can be saved. And this is why you take that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us and you dip it in the wine and you break it and you dip it in the wine of the grapes which represents his blood that was shed for you and I. So that we can actually become a people of surrender, understanding that he surrendered his life to save us. Because he is simply that good. And we will only live in true and real freedom when we surrender everything to him. I mean, you will actually begin to live in true joy because nothing is laying its, its, its hands on you trying to pull you away from the joy that he intends for you to have. The band's going to come up as they do. We invite you guys to sing uh, these songs with us, take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, I mean, maybe you're in a place in your life where I don't know what your might might be that you're withholding. You know, it, it could be money. It could be a million other things. And maybe you need prayer about that because you're not, you don't trust God enough to actually let it go. To trust Him to be who He is. And today, maybe you need to do that. You need to let go and surrender everything to who He is. Because when we surrender. We begin to live and walk in true freedom. It's one of the reasons that they're offering boxes in the sidewalk on the back. You know, we don't pass a plate. It's always a response to what God is doing in us. We get up out of our seat and, and we give. It's it's just how it is because we believe it's a response. Uh, there's food and stuff in the back. We invite you guys to grab something to eat, maybe meet some other people, uh, maybe sign up for a gospel community at the Welcome Center. Someone will get in touch with you, and begin to start these friendships. Where people can come alongside you and walk with you. You can be honest with. Where all the things that you know, want to hold you in a bondage can actually be set aside. And you can begin to live in true and real life. The life that God calls us to have. Because too often we give ourselves to too many things that are not him. And it needs to be fully devoted to who he is. Because our God is good and our God wants us to live in real and true freedom. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as your people would be those who lay our lives at your feet. That we would understand that you are a God who has sought us and bought us and paid for us and rescued us and redeemed us. And that we, in turn, would be a people who stop holding on to everything in our lives because we think that you can't actually take care of us. We think that you actually aren't good enough. And yet you are. Have us lay down our trust in ourselves and place our trust fully in you as our God and our King and that we'd begin to live lives full of grace and hope and truth and most importantly, freedom so that worship of you is real and free. It is not mired by guilt. It is not mired by shame. It is mired by hope and goodness Or we step out of the things that have their hooks in us. And we would say, take our lives and let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That everything is yours. And so that your people would be those who live in freedom, not just for ourselves, so we get more of what we want. We want more freedom, but so that the world would know who you are and that you would be lifted up by the great freedom your people have in their lives and how they worship, not just on a Sunday, but in how they worship you at their job by how they treat others and how we worship you in our neighborhoods by how we treat our neighbors and how we worship you and how we raise our children and how we worship you and how we treat our spouses and how we worship you in everything. Today, take all of us as we lay it down before you. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.